Welcome to training from Scott Ross Online. Scott Ross is a highly sought after and internationally acclaimed personal development and leadership coach who speaks to more than 50,000 people a year. The same strategies he's taught top executives are available to you through programs like this one. We encourage you to take notes and listen to this audio multiple times for maximum results. And now, here's Scott. Welcome, everybody, to the Scott Ross Leadership Podcast. I appreciate you guys being on. It is episode number 109. You're going to be able to find all the show notes for this episode at scottrossonline.com slash 109 or 109, the number. Every now and then I have a podcast episode where I've just been accumulating some thoughts and there's not really an effective way to title it or categorize the podcast. And that's what's going to be happening today. I'm going to call this Rules for Effective Leadership. And while there are many, many more things we can cover related to leadership, as indicated by the fact that we have 108 previous episodes, these are three things that I think can make a major impact in your effectiveness as a leader and without which will have a huge detriment on your leadership. So get your paper and pen handy. You're going to want to take notes on this. If you're driving, you're you're going to want to listen to this several times. And uh, while you're grabbing something to take notes, let me just do a little bit of housekeeping and ask for you to do a couple of things that will really help us out here on the podcast. The first thing would be to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. You can get the instructions to do that on scottrossonline.com. It would also be great if you'd follow us on Twitter. That's scottrossonline, all one word, at scott. Ross online. And of course, if you would support any of our sponsors, it would absolutely help us out. So with that said, let's dive into some rules for effective leadership. And the first rule I want to talk about is the rule of getting and staying positive. To be an effective leader, you need to get positive and you need to stay positive. What do I mean by positive? I mean, you're going to be a positive optimistic, upbeat force in your organization. You see, as the leader, you are the thermostat rather than the thermometer. And I see so many leaders or people who would purport themselves to be leaders that are not thermostats, but are instead thermometers. They're the dad who walks around the house and tells everybody what's wrong. They're the boss who's always complaining about the way the team operates or how poor people are performing or how the company isn't doing what they want them to do or how people won't listen. Uh, I, I heard a leader one time who was at an event and they were yelling at the people who came to the event about the people who didn't come to the event. I mean, just talk about insanity. These are people who are thermometers. They're telling everyone what's wrong. They're telling everyone why things aren't going the way they should go. They're complainers. They're negative. And what we want to be is thermostats. We want to set the temperature. We want to set the culture for our organization. And so we need to get positive. We've all heard this before, but the speed of the leader is the speed of the pack. And there's another true a truth or an adage in leadership, and that is that your people are always going to be about three levels lower than you are. And so what do I mean by that? 
If you were to take anything on a scale from 1 to 10, wherever the leader is, the followers are going to be at best two or three clicks beneath them. So we often talk about these in positive terms. For instance, if we say that the leader is a 9 in terms of their vision, then their people are going to be maybe a six or a seven at best. If we say that the leader is a 10 on open communication, then the followers will be maybe a six or a seven. Well, we can flip this on its head when it comes to this idea of being positive because if the leader is on a scale from one to 10, only a one or a two on positivity, the followers are going to be in the negative numbers. So if you're down as a leader, your people are going to be really down. They're going to be really in the doldrums. They're going to have a very pessimistic outlook. So we have got to, as leaders, have a highly positive attitude and a highly positive outlook and a very optimistic demeanor if we want our people to be anywhere close to us. Because even if we're, say, at a five or a six in terms of our optimism and our attitude of being positive, that means that our followers are really going to be in the two or three range, which is not where you want them to be. You know, we've talked about on this podcast before that there are several phases of leadership, steps, in the leadership process. And the first phase of leadership is modeling. It's I model. We have to model what we want to see our people do. We cannot mentor and we definitely can't motivate if we haven't first modeled. And so you have to model your attitude. You have to model handling adversity and handling it well. You have to model finding the gift in some problem, finding the blessing in some unexpected downturn or some unexpected negative event. We have to model ownership of our results. Too many leaders, again, going to this idea of being the thermostat, versus the thermometer, are thermometers when it comes to this ownership idea. They're acting like a victim. They want someone to blame. As leaders, we don't want our people in victim mode, and we don't want our people in blame mode. Well, they're not going to know how to get out of those two modes until they see it modeled by us, the leaders. We've got to model ownership. We're not victims. No one's to blame. This is nobody's fault but mine. I have seen world-class leaders walk into a situation where everything was going poorly and they have absolutely taking, taken ownership. There's a pretty lengthy story that I really appreciate and it has to do with the joint initiative that was undertaken by Toyota and General Motors back in the 80s to create a, a joint plant in California where they would produce cars. And the Japanese were going to be in charge of this process. And that plant had been the lowest performing plant in the entire General Motors universe. And the Japanese had, of course, mastered the manufacturing process and having high performance and high levels of productivity and output. And so they come into this environment the Japanese do into this low performing environment. And one of the things that had existed in the 
General Motors environment had been the fear to ever stop the manufacturing line and to ever point out a problem because they were it was drilled into the employees that if you pull the cord, if you stop the line from moving, you're costing the company $15,000 a second and those employees would be chastised. Well, when the Japanese took over, they wanted the employees to stop the line anytime they saw a quality problem, and they wanted that to happen at the lowest level possible. So the lowest level employee was empowered to stop the line and point out a quality issue. Well, this wasn't happening, and the CEO of Toyota came to view the plant And the CEO saw a quality problem happen right in front of his eyes, and the employee did not stop the line. And the CEO of the company walked up to the employee and asked, would you please pull the cord? And the employee was scared, and he said, please pull the cord. Pull the cord, stop the line. They fixed the quality problem. And the CEO bowed to the employee and apologized to the employee for failing him, for letting him down by not conveying to him how critical it was that he stopped the line when there was a quality problem and how he had let that employee down personally by not making sure he felt empowered to call out a quality problem. Wow. Talk about leadership. Here's the CEO. Instead of yelling at this employee, why have you not done what we've told you to do? Instead of calling his manager over, why have you not taught this employee to catch quality problems at the point of impact? What is going on with you? Why is this plant not performing? Instead, he owned it. I have failed you because I have not conveyed what should have been conveyed. That is on me. We should all be leaders like that, where we take total ownership of a situation. If something is not being done, it must be on me. If something was done incorrectly, I must not have communicated it appropriately. If things are going poorly, I own it. We're going to fix the problem. We've got to model that level of ownership. And that is a part of being a positive, upbeat, solution-oriented leader. You know, character is not shaped in adversity. It is revealed in adversity. People say, well, character, you know, adversity shapes you. No, it doesn't. There are plenty of people who've gone through a lot of adversity and they still don't have any character. Here's what it takes. You determine you're going to be a person of character. You determine you're going to be a leader of character. And you determine that you're going to let the light shine through when things are difficult. You're going to let that character really show itself when things are suboptimal and things are not going your way. And so as leaders, we've got to make a decision ahead of time. I'm going to be a positive person. I'm going to stay a positive person. We've got to model optimism. We've got to model casting vision and inspiring the people around us to rise above their circumstances, to rise above whatever adversity we may be going through in the moment. So, The first rule for effective leadership is we've got to get positive and we've got to stay positive. And so I would just ask you this. Here's a little exercise that we can reflect on together. What are you modeling right now to your people? What kind of leader are you? Are you more of a thermostat or are you a thermometer? 
And how positive are you on the inside? Because what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And then, of course, if you are not being positive on the inside, it means you're faking it on the outside. We don't want to fake it. We want to really be positive, optimistic leaders. So let's take a let's take a little gut check. Let's take our, our pulse. How positive really are you on the inside? Or are you really kind of a pessimist? And that's an area where we need to grow. And then what can you do to be a better person? model for your people. Get positive, stay positive. Rule number one for effective leadership. Now, rule number two is to keep your eyes on the objective. Keep your eyes on the objective. You know, followers can often get down into the weeds, so to speak. And in fact, This is a good thing. In many cases, one of the most valuable roles a follower can play is to be heavily focused on something that's tactical, something that is detail-oriented. We need that in the organization. We need someone keeping their eyes on the details, making the little tactical decisions. But the leader cannot be that person. Are leaders often going to need to make a tactical decision here or there? Do leaders need to appreciate the details and make sure those things are getting attended to and getting done? Absolutely. And in fact, I as a leader are very, am very often going in and inspecting what I expect. I inspect what I expect. And I do pay attention to detail. But where it gets off track, where we start to go sideways as leaders is when we confuse our role as a leader with The idea of making tactical, detail-oriented decisions. We have got to be the person that no matter what happens and no matter how far into the details we may get, we always remember that our objective is out on the horizon, that our role in the organization is to keep us moving towards that main objective, and we can always pull our heads back up and keep track of where we are. Where is the vehicle at this point? Are we headed in the right direction? What is the main thing? And we become absolutely excellent at keeping the main thing, the main thing. You know, an interesting story related to this idea of the difference between the person in the details versus the person who's able to see the main objective comes from the movie Frozen. It is the animated picture that I'm sure all of us are aware of. Most of us have heard the song so much that you don't want me to sing it because you're afraid that it'll get stuck like an earworm in your brain and you won't be able to get it out for a week, so I'll I'll spare you that. But it is the highest grossing animated film of all time, and I believe it may even be the highest grossing film of all, of any kind of all time. Well, when Frozen was in production, 
things were not actually going well. If you understand, if you study the history of Frozen, you would be surprised to find that just 18 months prior to release, Frozen was in absolute shambles. They were at a place where they had come up with a complete, they had actually created a complete film. They had shown the film to a select group of executives with Inside Disney. They'd pre-screened the film and it was it was a disaster. And everybody had gone back to the drawing board and they did not know what they were going to do. And the story did not work. All the characters that you know and love from the movie, they were not the characters then that they are now. The, each one of them had different personalities. They were doing different things. The relationships they had with each other was completely different. The story did not work. And everyone was banging their head against the wall, not sure what they were going to do. And the leadership in Disney did some remarkable things. And one of the things they did to shake things up is they took the writer, the head writer, Jennifer Lee, and they made her a co-director of the film. And Jennifer has said that when they made this move, although she was flattered, she didn't really understand it because it wouldn't make any difference. See, as the writer... A, she had written the entire script, the entire screenplay. She had written the movie that wasn't working. Secondly, though, she was in every single meeting. So all of the brainstorm sessions for how to get the story to work, she had been a part of them. Everything related to the songs and all the songwriters, she was in all those meetings too. And she was at, at, as much, excuse me, as much at a loss for what to do as anyone else was. And yet something shifted when she was made a co-director of the film. She says that suddenly when she was sitting in all those meetings, she was thinking like the director rather than the writer. See, as the writer, she had to be concerned with her job and she answered to the director, meaning the director got to make the decisions. She didn't have to listen in the same way to everyone's input, but suddenly when she was put in the director chair, she now was in charge. She was now hearing people's input in a completely different way. And suddenly, because she started to see things slightly in a new way, everything began to break. And all the ice melted, no pun intended, and the story came together. And it is what it is today, the highest grossing film of all time. As the leader, you cannot confuse yourself with one of the people down in the tactical nitty gritty. You have got to be someone who can pull your head up and stay focused on the main thing. And yes, make a decision here or there. Yes, keep the wheels on. Yes, make sure details are being attended to, but never get lost in that process. You see, leaders that overly involve themselves in tactical decisions do two things two things to harm their organizations. The first is they rob the emerging leaders of leadership opportunities. See, those more tactical decisions, these are chances for your young emerging leaders to show leadership. If you go in there and you make sure that, that that's your business, you've taken that from them and they can never grow and they will never get those leadership experiences. But the second thing that happens is the entire organization will begin to drift. 
Think about driving your car. If you're getting in your car and you're going from point A to point B, and then in the midst of driving, you decide you don't like the playlist on your iPhone. And so you decide you're going to get into the phone and start making it your point to change the playlist. And you're trying to find the list you want and you're pulling up the search. Well, at this point, your focus is completely off the road. And guess what? You have forgotten completely the entire point of driving the car. To get the car from point A to point B doesn't require a great playlist. You could drive in silence. It might not be as enjoyable a trip. But the main thing is for you and everyone in the vehicle to get to point B safely and intact and in a a good amount of time. If you're down in the playlist, something has gone horribly wrong in our minds and literally the entire thing can go up in smoke. If you're texting and driving, it's the same idea. Well, so many leaders do this. They're worried about something and focused on something that's not really going to matter. It's only going to matter if it distracts the leader in some significant enough way that would cause the organization to drift out of its lane. Listen, write this down. Don't text and lead. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to make that a t-shirt. Don't text and lead. That's what a lot of us are doing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Second rule for effective leadership, keep your eyes on the objective. So here's a quick exercise for us to reflect. Do you even know what your main objectives are? So many of us can't keep our eye on the main thing because we've got so many things and we're not sure what the main thing is. Man, as the leader, if you don't know the main thing, your people certainly don't know the main thing. How can you measure whether you're going to get to the destination, if you're not sure what the destination should be. By the way, you really can't have more than one objective at a time. I mean, you can have a couple, but let's be real. You can only take the car from point A to point B, not point A, from point A to point B and C simultaneously. You might go to B and then quickly to C, but you got to know what your main objective is. So what is your main objective? Do you know? What deserves your focus? And if you do know your main objective... Where are you focused on something tactical right now that's taking your eyes off of that main objective? Where could you empower someone in your organization to focus on those tactical things so that A, they can be growing and B, you can be leading? So before we go on to the third rule, I just want to talk about one thing really quickly, and that is going to have to do with the third rule. It's something that's going to facilitate the third rule I'm about to get into, and that is my secret weapon for my growth process. I am constantly focused on growth, and part of that has to do with educating yourself. And my secret weapon is my Audible subscription. I read a ton. I read actual books, uh, the physical books. I read them on Kindle. But I also turn all of my downtime into into my private university, and I do that with my Audible subscription. And we have a way for you to get any book in the world for free and try Audible for free for 30 days uh, because you're a listener to the Scott Ross Leadership Podcast. One of the books that I recommend very, very highly is a book called Deep 
Work by Cal Newport. Deep Work has helped me become so productive and eliminate distractions, create some disciplines that have helped me overcome some problems with getting distracted by social media and other things that took away my focus. And I am more productive than I've ever been after reading and applying the techniques from Deep Work by Cal Newport. It's just one of the books that I can't recommend highly enough. And you can get that book or any book you want for free by going to audibletrial.com slash Scott Ross. audibletrial.com slash Scott Ross. Any book you want for free. And of course, your 30-day subscription. I listen to Audible whenever I'm driving, whenever I'm on the treadmill. Anytime I have downtime, I use my Audible subscription as a key part of my personal growth process. Go to audibletrial.com slash Scott Ross, get your free book and start growing today. So with that said, let's dive into the third and last rule we're going to cover for this episode. And this rule for, for effective leadership is grow yourself to grow your people, grow yourself to grow your people. Now we've all heard things like leaders are readers And to a degree, that's true. If you're a leader and you're not reading, you're not going to be a leader for very long. However, I don't like the leaders are readers thing because I think the way that people digest that little truth is far too passive. They have this idea that as long as they're just reading books, that must be enough. And while it's not possible to read and have yourself impacted in some positive way. I mean, it's just impossible to be a reader and not come away with something good. I don't believe that reading books just to check some box that says, hey, I read a book is really what we're trying to accomplish. I think that reading in that way misses the point. Instead, I want you to have a growth plan and your reading be a major component of your purposeful growth plan. Like everything in your leadership and really in your life, I want you to become very intentional about your growth. Because if you're not intentional about your growth, you're really not going to grow. So what does that look like? First of all, you need to take an inventory. Where do you need to grow personally? Where are you missing something? We all have areas where we need to grow. Maybe I'm not a good active listener. Maybe I don't have a lot of emotional or what they call EQ, uh, emotional empathy. Maybe I'm not good at confrontation. Maybe I'm not good at casting vision, or maybe I'm a poor communicator. I don't know. All of us have areas where we need to grow. Where do you need to grow? You need to take a candid look in the mirror and make a list. You know what? Go to some mentors. Ask them that question. Go to some of your followers and say, I want to grow as a leader for you. Where could I grow that would be you think could make the biggest impact? And just be willing to listen without getting defensive. Take an inventory of where you need to grow. Another thing you should take an inventory on is where do you need new or better skills? You know, I'll give you a personal example. 
In my career in the software industry, I had spent the first, I don't know, 15 years of my career, maybe more close to to 11 or 12 years of my career, selling solutions that had to do with the manufacture, transportation, warehousing, marketing, and sale of physical goods, physical products, widgets, to be generic. And I ended up having an opportunity to lead an organization where the software that we provided wasn't going to be able to build a very large market presence in the space that I had always been in. What I found when I started evaluating how can we win here, I was looking for some blue ocean strategy and I discovered through analysis that there was a real opportunity in the industries that did not have a tangible product. The services industries, things like financial services, healthcare, information technology. Well, Financial services, as an example, I saw was going to be a major opportunity for us. But guess what? I knew nothing about the financial services industry. That was an area where I needed new skills or better skills. Perhaps you have been a leader in one department within your organization, and now you're leading multiple departments, and some of those areas where you're leading, you don't know anything about those areas. Like maybe you've never led a sales team, and now you're leading salespeople. You should know something about selling. These are places where you need new or better skills. Skills. Maybe it's the other way around. You've always been in selling and now you're also leading HR or you're leading accountants or whatever. You should maybe have some of those skills. Make an inventory of where you need new or better skills. Maybe you're in an in- industry that's transitioning and there's new technologies emerging or new strategies that are starting to come into play. The last thing is take an inventory of what challenges are arising that are out there on the horizon that you know you're going to need to be able to to address. Once you take an inventory of those things, you now need to build an actual growth plan. So we can do a quick Google search. What are the best books on what are the best books on those areas where you need to grow? What's the best books on communication skills or sales skills or active listening or having empathy for others or whatever the case may be? What are the best books on those other skills that I mentioned to you before? So, for instance, um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I just said was I didn't know anything about financial services. I did a Google search on like, what are the best five books on banking? What are the best five books on investment services? And I went and read the books on those industries so I could learn and have an intelligent conversation with my potential customers. What are the best books on those things? What are the best books on those challenges that are on the horizon. And you make a list of those things. Another thing you could say is where are there parallels I could learn from in other industries? Because I could seek out books from leaders in those industries or, you know, biographies of organizations in those industries. And then where are major figures in history that I could read biographies about that have struggled on in similar ways or had to overcome similar obstacles? What are some seminars that exist in the areas where I want to grow? And are there any executive coaches that could potentially help me? And you're going to take that inventory you you created and you're going to create a growth plan. 
So you're going to start reading books very intentionally, not just random books that are just good business books to read or leadership books generically to read, but you're going to start reading in the specific areas where you want to grow. You're going to start going to seminars in the specific areas where you want to grow. You're going to seek out mentorship in the specific areas where you need to grow. And at this point, you're going to convert from the person you used to be to a person where growth is simply a way of life. You're going to become very intentional about your growth process. You see, growth should be the way of life for a leader because if a leader is not constantly growing, they're going to find themselves surpassed by the people they're trying to lead. A leader cannot lead someone to a place they've never been. A leader cannot help someone grow if they themselves have not grown. And so this is going to become a way of life for you. And that really is the point. This is not a selfish endeavor. You're not growing purely for your own interests, but rather, as I said at the beginning, this rule is grow yourself in order to grow your people. You should be growing in order to help your people grow. Look, we've talked about this before. Leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. And one of the primary ways that you build influence with people is by adding value to their life. And one of, if not the best ways to add value to another person is to help them grow and become the best version of themselves. If you have poured into me and helped me achieve my dreams and helped me become the man that I know I could be, the husband, the father, the leader, the executive, the salesperson, whatever the case may be, if you have helped me become that person, I am forever indebted to you. And therefore, you have influence with me. Therefore, you can lead me. So we're going to grow because we want to be able to help our people grow. If I've built a growth plan for myself and I've been executing growth plans for myself, I am equipped to help build a growth plan for my people and I'm equipped to mentor them through the growth process. And just like you must be intentional about your growth, you must be intentional about your people's growth and you must help your people become intentional about their growth process. So we want to grow ourselves in order to grow our people. So the three rules, get and stay positive, number one. Number two, keep your eyes on the objective. And number three, grow yourself to grow your people. If you follow these three rules, you will be one of the more effective leaders in the world today. Guys, I hope this has added value to you. Do me a favor. Please write a review of this podcast on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, or whatever the case may be. Please write a review. The way that people find podcasts like ours is based on how many reviews, positive reviews, a podcast has. Also, uh, go out and get your free book, audibletrial.com slash Scott Ross. And uh, the show notes, again, will be at scottrossonline.com slash 109. Until next time, keep raising your lids. Let's make a dent in the universe. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. We hope you have enjoyed this audio program. For more resources to further your development as a world-class leader and for success strategies and tactics in all areas of your life, please visit scottrossonline.com. And be sure to connect with Scott on Facebook and Twitter using the ID at scottrossonline. 